thought I would enter in with some uh, electronic static to get your attention this morning. Can you still hear? Could you hear the hum? No, you can't hear the hum. I love that you guys get to meet and greet after meeting and greeting all morning. And you're still just as fervent about meeting and greeting again. It's, you know, we're a small church, but I love that we love to love each other. And sometimes after church, I wish that we would love each other a little faster. But, but I want you to know that if I had my choices between church starting and church ending and five minutes later the building being cleared, I would rather wait every day till 1230 or 1 o'clock for conversations to happen, for prayer to happen. And so it's just a great reminder. I mean, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. It's been missions month, a lot of different things. But if you ever attend this building for whatever reason and feel like you have something that God has given you and you're struggling with it, take the time to find an elder. Take the time to find me. Just wait. Be patient. We're not going to go anywhere. If it needs to be handled today, if today is the day that the Lord has given you something to deal with, please do not leave this building without letting us jump in with you. We know that life is busy, and just looking on this last month of uh, Missions Month and realizing uh, we have a missionary named Marty who's been trying to come here for the last three years, and every year something happens with him trying to come back. And when that happened, his sister got ill. And when Marty couldn't make it, he was just like, I don't know what to do, and I hate to leave you guys. And me and Bill got a chance to sit down and say, Lord, you know, it's missions month. This is the spot. Who's that missionary that needs to speak? Well, that's how we got Matthew to get, get the chance to be able to share with you guys. And Matthew was an overwhelming success for the church. And he's been such a blessing for us to just realize that. And I just want to continue to share that with you. Sometimes this you know, blessed are those who will bend, right? I mean, the flexibility to see how God's going to work things out, you know, we're kind of black and white. Some of us are more 90 degree than others about, you know, okay, God, this is my plan and this is my schedule. So, you know, try to get it done. And he's like, no, I'm not trying to get your schedule done. This is my plan. This is my will and I'm going to get it done. So would you flex with me as I show you there's a different speaker that we actually have planned and I just want to thank you guys for being uh, open to all that. I know I snuck on a couple of times. I snuck back for Matthew's presentation, and I would find myself wherever we were uh, kind of vacationing. I was never on sabbatical, by the way. Sabbatical is a, a year-long hiatus. I couldn't take a year off, to be honest with you guys. I've been in ministry over 30 years. I can barely take 10 days off. So, But I was watching. I was sneaked to go watch online or on my phone or on my watch or whatever, and Jennifer's like, let it go. Just let them go, Jeff. They will be all right. But uh, I love this place, and I miss you guys. So thank you for the time. I appreciate it. It's been very good. Kidneys are doing okay. There's a lot of other stuff happening with everything. I mean, all things considered, God is super good, and I have no complaints. Uh, a new lady was kind of placed in the chair next to me recently, and she's only done two dialysis, and they have not been good for her. And she is a Spanish-speaking lady, so... The pain and the trauma of kind of going through the process has called her to spend most of her time crying out to the Lord in Spanish the whole time, which my nurses are Filipino, and they are not relating to that, but I speak Spanish. Most of you don't know that, and I speak Spanish, and so from the side of my machine laying down on the side of her machine, I just sit there and speak words of encouragement in Spanish the entire time, and was able to meet with the nurse, the social worker, and explain how traumatic it actually was for her. And finally talked one of the siblings in to come and sit with her. And now that sibling is sitting there and I'm having a chance to kind of share uh, the Lord with them, inviting them to church as well. So once again, I mean, how does God use all things for his glory? 
when you allow yourself to be used for that glory, right? Even the, it's not the most, you know, comfortable position, and it is kind of awkward, but I mean, it doesn't matter. That's what we're in. That's what God has called us to do. So once again, a blessing with that as well. And then as you guys know, too, in January, we are expecting our fifth grandchild. Uh, it's going to be another boy. So my son is very happy. He says he has half his basketball team, so he's, uh, he's pumped up. My daughter-in-law's not as pumped up as my son is. Uh, she's desperately praying that someday that the Lord will bring her a little girl, but um, I know they're going to go at it, so there'll be more to come with that as well. So all things considered, Lord, just you do your thing with the kids and let them grow and go. I also had a chance to buy a new car with my daughter who recently paid off all of her school loans, and we got a chance to celebrate and introduce her to the wide world of Tom Phipps and the used car salesman. And you know what, Tom, I wish you worked at Toyota because it would have been a lot easier if we could have just come and dealt with you. But man, three, or a Rolls Royce would have been perfectly fine. <laughs> three days of trying to buy a car with her. And uh, boy, the world's a different place when you realize how uh, other people work and act. But you know what? Uh, it was a blessing. And I felt like once again, God allowed us to, a, a father and son, you know, a 27-year-old daughter. And, and we like each other. Dad, my daughter and me like each other. And we were able to kind of have that banter and whatever and share that with him. He had grown kids as well. And it was just good for all of us to kind of to be together. I'm one of those guys, I like to find God in all things. If, if, buying a car doesn't matter. If, if, if that's something we have to do for the day, then let's try to do it in such a way that it blesses the Lord. So with all these reminders and with you guys letting us do Missions Month, I mean, I really want to thank you guys because the conversations that needed to happen were difficult. New speakers this year, some very difficult topics. I mean, how many churches are really talking about abortion and, you know, human life and the value of human life? I mean, a lot of people are trying to, you know, go around things and try to be, you know, oh, that could be problematic, so let's avoid that. But, I mean, I, I really feel like something the church has and we can hold fast to and we don't have to be afraid of, it's okay to talk about difficult topics in here if God has spoken on those. Amen? Like if God has said, you know, this is the way that it is, and I understand there's a whole lot of other opinions now telling you and trying to influence you about what it may be like, but just this, this is the way that it is. I'm the designer, right? Like if you want to know what's going on with your computer, at some point you take it to the fix-it guys and the repair guys and 20 different shops with names on it. But if it doesn't get fixed, at some point you go to Apple, right? You take it back to the guy who built it, and you pay the extra money because they built it, right? They know how that thing is supposed to work. I kind of feel like sometimes we do the same thing. We try all these other methods and mindsets about how we're going to fix our lives and how we're going to operate. And it just doesn't work, guys. It just doesn't work. You want to, if you want to take it back and get it fixed, then go to the guy that built it and lay it at the feet of the cross and say, Lord, this is my issue. And this is what I keep running into. Would you speak through your word something and clarify it so I know which way to go? And I don't know, to that endeavor, I see missions month is like, okay, we're not just in mission so we can send money so other people can go do it. You're all on point every day. You're all in a mission every day, right? I'm not where you are, and you're not where I am, so every day the people that you're around, you're that missionary to them. And we appreciate sometimes the nuance of someone who lives in a foreign country and has to eat crazy foods, right, and doesn't have the We can appreciate that so much more, and then we belittle kind of the idea that we're on ministry in the same thing, right? Just because we have different resources and we're in different areas, it doesn't devalue the call that's in your life. You're a missionary in that place. And so just like Don and Jill are thriving in their mission place, I hope that you guys can now thrive in your mission place here as we realize uh, God has a lot of things for us to do. 
One final thing before I pray, and then we'll get started. We're back in the book of Acts. We're going to be working on chapter 11. I'm going to be focused on the first 19 verses, even though I'll use the second half of 19 through 29 for the communion thought. But this morning, I just want to remind you one last thing. We have a a membership class after church today, and it's nice and full, and I'm really excited about that. Church, if we're not growing, okay, we're not going. We have got to be growing, and we've got to be figuring out ways to invite our friends, invite our family, and reach out to the world. So coming out of a missions month, I really hope that reminds you is like, look for the opportunities to bring people to Christ. Look for the opportunities to share Christ with the world around you. The world around you is desperate, like my new partner at the dialysis center. The world around us is desperate, and when people get really desperate, it seems kind of obvious to me. I mean, I've been desperate enough to kind of see people in that situation, but it's it's, it's like they don't call any other name, right? When you're saddest of sad, maddest of mad, or beyond all hope and despair is the only thing that you're looking at, whose name do they always call? There's just one name that that people who either understand faith and embrace faith or just they're mad at faith and they don't understand it, there's still just one name that they go to, right? Sometimes they use it and verbally abuse it, but sometimes they just call out to it. And there's this empathetic call that you hear someone saying, Dios, Dios, por favor, el Señor, por favor, ayúdame, ayúdame. And she's calling out, God, God, my, my father, please help me. Right? There's no one else around in that situation. So it, it helps if you speak Spanish that you can then understand that. And then I get to just whisper words to her, todo tranquilo, todo tranquilo. En el nombre de Jesús, todo tranquilo. Everything's good in the name of the Lord. Piensa en este, este momento. Piensas, piensas en este momento. Todo tranquilo en Jesús. Think on these things. Everything in the Lord is good. And you hear the whimpering stop. And you hear the crying and the moaning halt for just a second. And then she breathes. And then I spell check my words because I want to say, breathe, no, breathe in, breathe out, trust God. Uh, Church, I hope that's encouraging for you this morning. Let me pray, and we're going to turn, and we're going to jump in. Today is a fascinating moment in Acts. We're going to find out visions. I don't know if you guys are big about visions and dreams and whatever, but we're going to find out today that the Lord works in mysterious ways. And sometimes those mysterious ways are working on similar platforms, and those two platforms are going to meet today, and we're going to find out when God actually puts a thought into two people's mind, and those two people come together, and it's going to change the path of spiritual history. We are here today because of what we're going to research and hear and understand, so for those of you who like it, then you're going to be excited. For those of you a little confused, hang on, and we'll get through it. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the opportunity that Mission Month has presented. I thank you for all the speakers that have committed their lives from Matthew to to Jill and Don and Angel and just all the different people that spoke to kind of just remind us that in this life you will have choices and in this life you will have adversity, but take hold, I've overcome the world. So in that capacity, each one of us can serve through our faith as a mission to the world around us. Father, I pray that this morning you would continue to encourage your people, that you would even use a message today about a vision and how sometimes things are given to us and we don't understand that that's what the Spirit's job is. The Spirit of the Lord's job is to clarify and to guide us to the truth. May we rest in the Holy Spirit this morning and may everything that we continue to do and say in this building bring honor to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. All right, so I've warned you about this, and I also want to give fair warning to anyone. I, disclosure, if you are one of those people who has vivid, vivid dreams, 
whether you're a good sleeper or not a good sleeper. But if you're one, I am not putting out an, an APB saying, Pastor Def is your go-to guy, okay? I don't have dream interpretation. I'm not going to be able to help you with any of that. I myself had crazy end-time dreams for about 12 years in my life. Very, very specific, very, very end-time dream. And I used to ask everyone, from my pastor to friends and family to elders, why, why, why? I just made peace with it. I remember praying about it. Lord, I get it. I get that it's going to happen. I get that I don't understand sometimes how it's going to happen. But I don't want what's going to happen in the end to affect for me today. Would you, would you change my dreams? Is it possible? Give me a different vision. And they kind of rotated back to an old dream that I've had that since I lost my best friend in 2006 when I entered into ministry, I just, it, all of a sudden I started having new dreams and I started to see my best friend in my dreams. And I was able to kind of realize that it was a dream, but it was giving me great encouragement and hope to see my friend in a happy, healthy capacity because that's not how it was in life. Yeah, I know it's kind of a weird thing. To that avail, I just asked the Lord today, this morning, I don't know what you think about, I don't know what you dream about, but if what you're dreaming about is causing you kind of pandemonium chaos or kind of whatever, take a deep breath, make peace with it. Maybe the Lord is trying to share something with you, but it's okay to talk to the Lord. Talk to him as much as you need to and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not really understanding that. It seems to be more of a distraction than anything else. Would you, Lord, rule and reign even in my mind as it's resting, right? Rule and reign to guide me, allow the Spirit of God to guide me and direct me to those things which are more beneficial for the kingdom of God. And for someone like me, um, I am someone who's all about evangelism. So thinking about my friend in a happy, healthy daily life has been really edifying, and I'm grateful. We're going to find out today that God's not only going to use a dream, but he's going to use it with two different people coming from two different places on the planet Earth. One is going to be a Roman centurion, okay? For those of you that are not kind of familiar with what a Roman centurion, Marcus, did we figure out a picture of a Roman centurion? Did you find one? A Roman centurion is a very unique guy, okay? A Roman centurion is the cat's meow of the Roman guard, okay? He has gone through the rank and file all the way to the point that he has then been called to be in charge of something. Now, century 100, right? He's in charge of 100 hand-picked men from an entire army. He is going to be that guy. There's nothing about him that's fun. There's nothing about him that's games. A Roman centurion is absolutely about getting the job done. And whatever the commander says, when you give it to that guy, you can be assured, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the cost is, if it costs him 99 men, they're going to go do that task to the fullest because that's who a Roman centurion is. This Roman centurion has been hearing about God. It's possible that this Roman centurion knows about what happened with Jesus even at the tomb, right? He's a centurion. I'm sure that he knows and he's heard the different things that have happened. He's going to be going through this situation in life where he's in charge of a household, just like he's in charge of a group of men. He's in charge of a household. He has all these people coming to him and asking him questions, and he does not have the answer that he knows is sufficient. And so he is going to ask out to the Lord. If you do exist, kind of one of those things like, hey, Lord, you know, and the Lord's actually going to send him a vision. And the vision actually has kind of a blueprint. This is what you need to do. And this is who you need to go get. And you need to send some men to go get him. And like any good military person, he's going to follow that order. And he's going to reach out and try to go find Peter. Meanwhile, Peter, you guys know Peter. I mean, is Peter amazing or what? I mean, Peter's the all-in guy. I love today that even in this component today of the story about Peter, Peter once again is going to say never. Peter is just one of those guys who never does anything. Lord, Lord, I would never do that. I'll never do this. I would never do that. And then he does it, right? 
Peter's going to be out there having this nice little time in Joppa. He's going to be doing ministry. He's going to be minding his business. And then, as would happen with any man in the middle of the day, he gets tired. It's time for a nap. And as he's tired and thinking of a nap, he's hungry. I mean, how normal is this, right? And he goes outside to find a nice place for quiet. And he goes to lay down. And he starts speaking to the Lord. And he falls into a deep sleep. And then, from heaven... A scroll-like thing from heaven comes down. They say sheet, but I, I picture it more like a scroll. Like this large scroll comes down from heaven, and he's going to have this vision. And unbeknownst to him, as this vision begins to speak to him, and this vision has already been given to Cornelius, a Roman centurion 25 miles away from town, God is going to drive the two of these men together and change everything we know about faith. We're about 10 years after the crucifixion. Ten years after the crucifixion, faith at this time is kind of exclusively a Jewish thing. Okay? A lot of the new converts are extremely Jewish. Many of them are Pharisees. So they're coming with all these different rules and regulations and stipulations because of where they're coming from. But in this one moment, something's about to change. And in the, as the dream kind of appears to him, he's going to be shown some animals on this sheet, on the scroll. And these animals are forbidden fruits for him. As a Jew, they're forbidden eating things. And in the dream, he's going to have this opportunity to not only see these things, but it's going to chase this with this idea, get up, kill, and eat these things. And it's going to just blow his mind. Lord, never have I eaten these things. Why would I eat these things a second time? Get up, kill, eat these things. Lord, please, these are unclean things. Why would I get and do these things? These, we, these are forbidden from us. And then the opportunity for him to hear, what the Lord has made clean, you cannot say is unclean. It's just a mind-boggling dream that these two guys are going to have, and it's going to put them both together. Now, Peter, in that sense, was now willing to do what the Lord was saying. And so as the two of them come together, there's going to be this opportunity in the passage for Peter to realize something. Not only is God calling the Gentiles, this forbidden fruit, into the group, but he's actually ordaining it. And I think that's such an important thing. Like The voice in the call is not only something that he's not going to question, but when he actually gets to the actual call, he's going to realize it is the Lord. And so what does Peter do? He invites these people who show up at his house. He wakes up from the dream. As he's waking up from the dream, these men that Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has dispatched are now waiting for him. Three, interesting use of the number for those of you who like numerology. Three are waiting for him, and they tell him the account. We've been sent for you by Cornelius. He requests your presence, and he knows that you have a message for him. What happens? Peter goes and shares with them. The Spirit of God falls upon the entire group. So Cornelius does not just show up by himself. He brings his family, his friends, like his entourage, right? And this cohort of Gentile non-believers comes, and Peter speaks. And as he's just beginning to speak to them, something's going to happen. What's going to happen is they're going to believe. And he starts feeling this sensation. Not only are they believing, he starts then recounting what happened at Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell and people believed and how perfectly clear that God's Spirit was moving and what the result was, this complete understanding. I love the fact that even though the chapter has two parts, like I said, 1 through 19 is this vision and how Peter responds to the vision. And then the second part is because of this vision and the Gentiles being let in, the second part of this vision is going to allow Peter to now go to a new city uh, Antioch of Syria, Syrian Antioch, and I'll explain that in a little bit why we have to identify which one it is. And from that, the entire spearhead of how faith is going to work and how the Word of God is going to go out completely changes.
Remember from the beginning of time, the main thing for the book of Acts is Acts 1.8. It's been a while since I've shared it again, so let me reiterate and state it. Acts 1.8. Jesus said to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It has to start in Jerusalem. Then to Samaria, right? It's it's that concentric rings. The rock hits, and it's starting to move out. Jerusalem, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. In this first 10 years that the Word of God has gone out, it's really been very focal. It's been focalized kind of in Jerusalem and Samaria. But with this introduction to Cornelius and the second part of chapter 11, you're going to see that first ring break free. And uh, I have a map I'll show you in a little bit too. And you're going to see it from the location that it's at. It's very strategic. God's going to begin to move it all the way out to the ends of the earth. So here we go. We're going to read um, starting in verse 11. And I think uh, I'm in NIV today. So if you're asking the version, that's where I'm at. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the Holy Land. So go up to Jerusalem. He says to them, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and then ate with him. So verse four, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa. I was praying. I was in a trance. I then saw a vision And I saw something like a large sheet being let down from the heavens by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. In verse 8, I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered in my mouth. Oh, Peter, with my nothing would I do right? Verse 9, then the voice spoke again for a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to the heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and entered into the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring a message through which you and your household will be saved, right? That's Cornelius. That's the Roman centurion. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit then came as he had at the beginning. And I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, so if God gave them the same gift as us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God. So then even to the Gentiles, now God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, we'll just get started and kind of backtrack through all these verses. I love the exegetical style that you get a chance to really replay the story. But can you imagine having to stand in front of your superiors after sharing Christ with someone and then stand in front of your superiors who are not, not, not only are they not happy, but they're accusatory and their opening line is, you went into the house of a non-believer. You went into the house of a Gentile, which for us, the conversation seems a little awkward, but let me explain what that means. Gentiles are 
wood for the fires of hell, okay? Gentiles are just like any other pagan culture at this time. To the Jewish Pharisees, it's not who you spend time with. Matter of fact, being with them made you ceremonially unclean. And guess what? If you're ceremonially unclean, you can't enter into the temple to worship. So spending time in any form or fashion inside someone's house who's a Gentile is mind-boggling to them. So not only does he have to explain to them what happened, but he has to explain to them, I love that it says, and he took his time to cover the sequences from the very beginning, right? He realizes that his brothers and sisters, these Pharisees that have come out of Judaism and into Christianity, have brought a lot of baggage with them, right? One of the famous things that they brought with them was this idea that if me and you as a Gentile wanted to step into it, we could step into it, but we'd have to be a new kind of convert. And one of the things that we'd have to do is to eat kosher, okay? I don't know about you, but I definitely don't eat kosher, okay? But you would have had to eat kosher because if not, you weren't respecting the Judaism laws, Along with eating kosher, another thing that you would have to do is, I don't know. I've completely forgotten from my notes. Let me look. (laughs) I will get to it when I find it again. But there's two things that you had to do to maintain the Jewish laws. And people weren't doing that, right? And so because they weren't, get circumcised. And because you weren't willing to get circumcised and eat kosher, then even though you had tried to make the transition according to them, you were not in. And so it became a conundrum, a sticking point for them. 2,000 years of programming, right? Think about this. 2,000 years. We're only 10 years in, but the programming had been Gentiles are just like every other pagan society. Like, they are not God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. Uh, I just want to encourage you, too, the fact that this mindset has been in their mind. When God does actually get to Israel, which I believe he will during the rapture actually get to Israel, those 2,000 years of programming are going to make a lot of sense. Someday and one day, Israel will embrace the Messiah and understand who he is. But prior to this point, every other culture and every other society is seen in the same light. Pagan, cord wood for hell. I literally read something that said, there has to be something to stoke the fires of hell in preparation for that day. Gentiles were the fitting characters for that. Thousands of years of seeing him in a certain way, it didn't matter. And one vision, God reveals to one of his main people, Peter, That even though you see this and you say unclean, who are you to tell me what's clean and unclean? Okay? This is something that he's been talking about from the beginning. The idea that what goes in your mouth is not what makes you clean or unclean. Right? He's been trying to teach them from the beginning. That's a misconception that they have. But it didn't matter. And because it's 10 years down the road and these guys are coming together, Cornelius just knows, hey, look, this is what the angel said. Go find this guy. He sends the people. Peter wakes up from the dream. These guys are standing there. And then the Lord actually says to him, do not hesitate, let them in, right? Why would he hesitate? Because even though he just heard and was told what it meant, it's still his natural instinct. No, if I go in with these guys, if I invite them into my house, I'm ceremonially unclean. And so the circumcised party, this group of people that are kind of questioning him, you know, they're like, why would you do this? What is the reason for this? But they're hearing this very articulate, very slow well-spoken documentation of why they would do it, and they're going to have to be able to process the point. I love the fact that, for me, it's Jesus said, remember yourself, it's not the sick who, need, uh, who, who needs the doctor, right? I come for the sick. 
right? And you're talking about all these different things, and I'm telling you, this is why I've come for the Gentiles. They have sin just like you do, and I'm going to provide them with something that they will appreciate. And they see me as the doctor, and they're willing to embrace me as the doctor. So at length, Peter begins to explain himself. When you were in Jerusalem and you walked up to Samaria, you knew that you were going to the outer parts of the world, but you just didn't know, how are we going to get to the outer parts of the world? I mean, the Jews' world was very small, very myopic in how they saw things. And yet here was the perfect example. They were going to get to the outer parts of the world by inviting another people group in with them. Now, once, I, once again, I'm going to show you the map coming up here when we get to the second half of this thing. When you see where Syrian Antioch is, it makes perfect sense. So I'll go back to verse 5 now. That's just finished verse 4. Peter was having a dream, okay? He had just healed Dorcas from death, as you guys remember earlier. So he's, he's using his dreams. He's kind of reminding himself that God is doing all these different things. He sees in this vision, and, and from the end of this vision, he goes and he spends time with Simon the Tanner. Do you remember how chapter 9 ended? Just the fact that he stayed with Simon the Tanner. A tanner is someone who does animal hides, you know, the skinning of animal hides. That alone already kind of got him in the process of being around people who was unclean. So the Lord had kind of already initially kind of started him in this thought pattern. Now he sees the vision perfectly cleared. And now he realizes not only is God inviting them in, but God's inviting them in. And the scroll is coming from heaven to Peter. And I really like that. That One of the things I, I kind of saw about this is um, the idea of a scroll coming from heaven, coming to earth, and then going back up. Don't forget later on when the world ends. Have you guys thought about how the world ends in Revelations? The description of how the world ends? like a scroll being closed. Isn't that kind of cool? Like here's an early vision on about how God's revealing to invite the Gentiles in and he's using a scroll. Where does the scroll start from? It starts from heaven. It comes to earth. It explains what the vision is and then it closes back up and goes back. So it kind of keeps your concentration. Where is this coming from, right? And then I just, me and my kind of mind brain, I was like, you know what? That's interesting because his description about how the world ends is like the scroll being closed up and then the new Jerusalem comes down. Where does it come down from? From heaven. Anyways, good side note for my brain. I don't know if you like those kind of things. But Peter's once again being led by the Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but being led by the Spirit's a really important component for us at this stage of our faith right now. With everything that's happening in the world, everything that's going on. Um, I, I, recently, I, I had some other health issues. And so the doctor said, there's a new watch that you can buy. And you put it on, and this watch now monitors my heartbeat, okay? So I can push the button, and I can push um, EKG, and my new watch will now actually sync itself. And as you can see there, it's monitoring my heartbeat. I can find out if I'm an AFib or not. I can find out all these things. And it not only monitors, but it sends information to us, things, so the doctor can then monitor, right? All these things we've done so that we can have a better life. All these nuances about electronics and all these different things are supposed to make a better life. But you know what I really feel like this has done for me? Add another rope on my leg in my life and straddle me down. What also happens is I have three emails now. I have a church email, I have a personal email, and I have a slough email because life has gotten out of control. And every time I get an email now, it also rings. So because it's ringing, I think it's my AFib going off and then I'm having a heart attack. I'm constantly looking, right? It's not just a watch. It's a phone. I'm on vacation, I put my phone in the car, shut that stupid thing down, I'm out in the middle of a boat and I'm trolling in the middle of Big Bear when my hand rings. <laughs> Why is my hand ringing? My hand, hello? 
Jimmy Joe, can you? And I'm talking to someone on a boat with my, and I'm looking at my family in the boat, and they're like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I have no idea what's wrong with me. Why would I do this, right? We have so many influences trying to speak to us right now. One of the things I really want to focus on this morning for you guys, we have to be able to hear the Spirit in the midst of the noise. There's just more and more noise, and I do not see the noise slowing down. I see the noise increasing, and it's variations of how it comes to you, and multiple new fashions coming. But Peter has to be able to hear from the Word of God and see from the Word of God and know what the Spirit's trying to tell him because he has to be ready. As soon as he wakes up from the dream, he's in it, and he has no time to wait. Peter says, you know what? Okay, the Lord has given me a dream, even though I don't fully understand it, I'm waking up, and now he's saying, don't hesitate. So even his initial thought was hesitation, and the Lord, once again, I mean, I really appreciate that God's going so far to work with Peter. I think for those of you who kind of wonder, why is God, you know, choosing me? It's okay. If you struggle with your faith sometimes because you just don't feel like you answer the Lord like you should, and you're just not matter-of-fact about everything, it's okay. If you really look at the nuances of these biblical accounts, people, you see their humanity. Like, I see Peter's humanity over and over and over again. This whole concept even about saying never, right? Oh, Lord, I would never cheat on you. Oh, Lord, I will never fail you. But how many times does he do it? He does it three times, right? And then how many times does the Lord have to ask him when he does come back? Three times. Do you love me more than these? Of course, he's asking, do you love me unconditionally? And he's responding, I, I phileo, I love you as a friend. And he's like, I'm saying, do you agapeo? Do you unconditionally love me? Three times, right? Because this is nuance has been going on. How many people show up when he comes out of the dream? Three. And how many times do they have to repeat it? I mean, this, these, I, just, I just think it's fabulous stuff, these little side notes that God is trying to meet him, and God is trying to share him. Why? Because it's a big thing. Verse 6 tells us, I've observed all these things, and I realize that these animals are forbidden, but because the voice is saying to me, Peter, get up and kill, what else can I do? And by the way, remember, he was hungry when he went to the dream. So the idea that he's waking up hungry, and the Lord is saying, you know, you ever woken up from a dream and you're a little delusional? You're trying to figure out where you are. you like, it was a really good deep sleep. I kind of figure like that's what it was. It was like one of those, he's had this incredible run with Dorcas. He just raised someone from the dead. He's, you know, cooking with Crisco. Everything's popping. Boom, boom, boom. You take a nap. You're, you know, who doesn't like a good nap? You wake up, and now there's people in front of you, and boom, you're right back in the ministry game, right? You're right back on top of it. And they're like, hey, we were sent for you, and God told our boss to send us for you, and we need to do this. And he's like, I'm still trying to process this dream, and I'm hungry, and you're there. That's a lot, right? He takes a deep breath, and he starts to work it all out, and he says to me, okay, impulse, impulse, ulse, Lord, I will never fail you. I'm sure he's got to be thinking, Lord, I've already failed you a bunch of times. So it's interesting that even in my dream, my response to you was never would I fail you. Never have I done that. Not only has he done it, he's done it a bunch of times. And so he has to step back from it and trust that the Spirit of God is calling him to do something. What is, the God, what is God calling him to do? To change his perspective of a people group. To change his perspective of something that he has been t- told, trained, and from day one understood as being, that's just the way those people are. Us, Gentiles. And God's saying, no, that's not the way they are. Okay? They're just as wicked as who? You. Sometimes we hear scripture and we kind of just say it and we forget about it, but let's just remind ourselves. What does the scripture say? There is how many righteous? Okay. So when God has to tell us that we have an idea of a people group and we see them as wicked, can we just clear something really for the 90 degree black and white people? Let me just clarify something. To you. There is none righteous, not Pastor Jeff's words, the Lord's word. There's none righteous. 
For all have sinned, Matthew, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. If you have a problem with the people group, you add the people group. There's lots of different people groups today. If you have a problem with the people group, would you consider this morning, especially before you take communion, to make peace with something that you don't have a right to have a right against someone for being part of or believing in something that's ungodly because all have sinned and all are ungodly. And predicated on that, you, you should like nobody before you like somebody, right? Your subjective bias is the fact that you're still willing to forgive and like a certain people group under the pretense that you hold another group accountable. It's not how the Bible works. All are accountable. And all will stand before the bema seat of God and be reconciled to what they believe and what they acted upon. And he's trying to explain this thing to me, saying, hey, look, just as you keep denying, just as you keep being confused, what's significant here is I rolled the scroll down and I sent three guys to you. And like I've done before, I continue to do for you, Peter. I'm trying to tell you that it's my will be done and not yours. And it's going to be okay if you don't understand something. But what you do understand is that I told you to do it. If your choice is do something that you fully understand and you're confident in or do something that you know the Lord has called you to do, I want to encourage you this morning in the name of Jesus and the faith that you have, do what Jesus has called you to do. You'll get over the fact that you didn't understand or you do understand. A lot of times it takes time to do what Jesus do, do that, and then you'll see things differently. That literally becomes a way to see and have a new perspective about something in your life that's been holding you back. Why do I know this to be true? Because I have said no to being a senior pastor three times in the last 12 years of my ministry. I believe that God called me to be a senior pastor a long time ago. But I believe that being a senior pastor put my family under a spotlight that I was not willing to do. I love my family. I cherish my time with my family. My kids still like me, right? I still play golf with my kids. My kids follow the Lord my kids have graduated from school. My kids have good marriages. And I wanted to protect and cherish that. And so out of my understanding of my ways and my thoughts, I told the Lord no. This last year, I've learned a couple of different things about eating crow. When the Lord serves crow and manna for a year, eat it. Humble yourself and trust that when God's calling you to do something, you don't have to understand it, but you need to do it. Right? In this life, you will have not subjective bias from the Lord. It's if you're going to follow Jesus, you should have problems. You don't have to embrace it and be a martyr for doing that because it's just the way that it's going to be. And Peter's saying, hey, look, Lord, I don't do that stuff. I've never talked to those people. Never. Why would I go talk to them now? Because I'm telling you, you see them incorrectly. You see certain people groups right now incorrectly. Is there any form of any kind of subjective bias how God sees a human being? No. He uses the word, by the way, anytime he's wearing anthropos in the Bible, he's talking about all men, all women. Christ died for all men and for all women. He didn't die for a people group. All men, all women. There's only one race. God is the one who wants to talk about unity. You want to talk about unity? Talk about what God says. God is the one who says unity. God says, from the very beginning, I've been telling you that you are one people. And you all have one thing in common, sin. That's what you have in common. So you all have one need, a savior. And if you don't get that right, there'll never be unity. I don't know about the significance of three times for Peter and three times for Peter. Sometimes I think it's all these different things. 
I found, like I said, what I share with you, I found what was significant was that there was a revelation to me about how the world's going to end. Like, whether you see the thread through all of Scripture, I believe that God has actually put this common thread. And the more time you read God's Word and the more time you study God's Word, you will begin to see this common thread going through all of it. It's all connected. It's all interwoven so that you as a believer will have this strong confidence to say, hey, look, I don't need to understand. I just need to hear and I need to obey like the Roman centurion would absolutely unequivocally do. Because through this message, what does verse 14 tell us? Because through this message, not only will you be saved, but your household. What is the most encouraging form of faith that you could possibly have? One that you not only receive and allows you to be part of eternity with Christ, but one that then spills out of your cup and then blesses and covers the family that you're responsible for. I know the family as we see it today has been completely destroyed in the world. No wonder why the world wants to destroy it. The family is precious to God, right? You got to do this and you got to do that. They said you got to eat kosher. You got to be circumcised. All these different stipulations. What you need to do is you need to make peace of the fact that you're a sinner and that you need Christ. By asking for forgiveness and receiving that, not only will you be saved, but your family will. How many times have you seen a child come to the Lord and then seeing that child then minister to the family. I have seen it personally in student ministries. I witnessed it many, many times where just one person's faith can change the absolute dynamics of a family. For those of you that have kids that still don't believe and you have the privilege of doing stuff with their children, may I encourage you, our preschool now has a small amount of openings, 100 beautiful kids in there. We have room for five or six more. Maybe Marge will make room. But I can tell you right now, if you want to hear incredible stories about the power of one little kid having influence on their family, go sit with Marge Menashe and ask her about students. We're talking four or five, six-year-old kids. And what happens when one of those kids becomes on fire or just starts to learn or starts going home and singing Jesus? Ask them the dynamics of what happens to that whole family. Right now, there's a couple of guys in here that could tell you stories. We're watching it right now. I went and watching it with at least two families. And it's all based on the child. You and your household will be saved by following through on a dream. A dream can be life-changing. Yeah, a dream can be life-changing. The Lord works in many different ways. And because I don't understand that, I can't explain them all. But I can tell you this. If he's trying to share something with you or you're trying to show you something, maybe just because you don't understand it, you still should follow through with it. Feel free to come talk to me about that kind of thing if you believe God's calling you to do something. Because for some of you, like I said, it's, a, it's an individual dream that God gave to these two. He brought them together. It made perfect sense. So that when he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell, up, fell upon them. And the Spirit fell in such a way that he didn't, it wasn't unfamiliar. It was Pentecost. It was this idea of something he had just been through and just seen. And when the Spirit fell at Pentecost and 3,000 people came and, and the tongues of fire were being spoken and people were speaking in languages that were unknown to them but that were perfectly clear to other dialects and other people groups. And he was watching how the Spirit of God was pinballing and working, but it was all concise and it was all absolutely in order. And the results were people were coming to salvation. He said before he could even finish the story, Cornelius and the family, the Spirit fell upon them, and they all decided to make a profession of faith. Peter didn't even lay hands upon him at any time. The story doesn't show Peter laying hands upon him. In other words, Peter invoking the name of the Spirit on him. It's not Peter-led, it's Spirit-led. And the Spirit does it himself before Peter can even move. Cornelius does it, they respond, they want to be baptized, and from that point on, 
Cornelius begins this incredible outward journey for Gentiles, and because of this outward movement, the Word of God says this. Uh, I found this. This is from John. I like this. John 17, 20. This is my prayer, not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through the message, that all may be one. Father, just as you are and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity and that the world will know that you sent me and you love them even as I have loved you. Church, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world today and there's a lot of things that are really distracting and very few things that are happening in the world today are making us more unified, right? Everything about what's happening in the world today is making us more separated. Like little orca pods, you know? We do things this way, you do things that way, and you stay in this part of the ocean, and we'll stay in this part of the ocean, and we, may the two never pass. That is not how God designed us, and that is, now God, that is not how God intends us to live in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And that always confused me as a kid. Does that confuse you? Anyway? How do you be in something, but not of something? As I often do with the Lord, I spend time and I say, Lord, I'm a simple person. I'm having problems with this. I would like an explanation. This is the best one that I can give you. If I put you in a boat and send you to Catalina, are you in the water or on the water? Oh, you're on the water. Because here's what happens. On the way to Catalina, if at any time during the Catalina flyer or my friend's boat or whatever boat you're on, if you decide the boat is too bouncy and I'm getting seasick, so I'm going to try something different, and you jump in the water, everything changes, right? You can be in the water in a boat. I kind of look at God's hands like this, right? We can be in the water in the boat, and even though it's uncomfortable and it's bouncing or whatever, there's still safety in that. Good possibility your boat will not sink. A lot of boats have been designed, Boston Whalers, to be unsinkable, right? In the water, not out of the water. But the moment you leave that boat, who's it on anymore? Is it really on God to make you an incredible world decathlon swimmer to make it to the island, you know? Or is it on you? Is it a choice that you made to leave the boat because it was uncomfortable? Don't leave the boat, church. Don't leave the boat. We're in the world right now, and it's a little bit rocky, and it's a little bit stormy. Don't leave the boat. Stay in God's hands. Keep showing up at church. Stay faithful to the small task that God calls you to. Why? Because the moment you leave the boat... As the captain, I, I can't, time out, I'll be back, I got to go get Jim. You know what happens when you jump out of a boat in the ocean, depending on how the currents are? It's not good, okay? It's a major task just to retrieve someone. Watch those uh, Bering Sea shows. I mean, you got like five minutes or less and someone, if they're not in a suit, it's like two minutes. Being in the water in the ocean outside of a boat is not a good place to be. Maybe in a, in a Big Bear, I mean, I went to Big Bear this weekend, the water didn't really look too safe to swim in. But if you want to take your choices, I would say jumping out of Big Bear, maybe not too bad, right? But you don't want to jump out of a boat in the middle of the ocean. People do it all the time, and they say, you know, Lord, I don't understand. He's saying, well, I'm going to tell you how it's different. I'm going to baptize you with the Spirit of God. You baptize John. John, you baptize with water. That's important. That's good. A believer should be baptized. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to baptize with the Spirit of God. Here's the big difference. The Spirit of God is truth, Right? One of the main components why Jesus said, I got to go and I'm going to send one to you, the paraclete who's going to walk alongside you, whose role is what? Guide you in the truth. 
We need the truth. We need help. And so that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. He burns away the dross. He burns away all those things that are impure so that we can see the truth. When you see the truth and you don't respond to it and you decide to jump out of the boat, is it really on the Lord? Is it really between you and the Lord about how he could fail you and why are you drowning and this is not fair? Stay in the boat. Stay unified with the Lord. We all have sin. There's none righteous. There's no good. There's no one people group that's got it right. There's no religious group that's got it right. And one religion. I think a lot of religious groups got it wrong right now. I think a lot, there's a lot of heretical stuff being taught. And some of the people who have taught well today, a couple years ago, might be teaching bad tomorrow. So we follow them as they follow the Lord. But when they stop following the Lord, we stay in the boat. Stay focused. Peter, Peter obeys. One thing I really do like about Peter, he's kind of, he, so I can relate to that. I'm an all-in guy. Are you an all-in person? Like, I'm either in, I'm 110% in, or I'm 110% out. And sometimes I'm 110% in on something that's not wise. It happens. And sometimes I blow people's confidence because I'm a 110% guy. I don't have a half gear. I don't have a three-quarter. Playing golf this week with my brother, and he said, I just hit it 50%. I try to hit it 50%, and I hit the club straight into the ground, and I dig a big hole, and then something else happens inside of me. Rage, which is not something I'm really good with, right? Like, I wasn't built for rage. I'm trying to do this thing that I enjoy, and I have to just try it again. You know what happens on the, in golf when you don't care about a shot? You hit it perfect. It's a strange sport, golf, but one of the beautiful things about it is when you stop caring, everything happens perfectly. And when you start caring and you overthink it, think, anyways, I got a lot of sidetracked here. Peter doesn't care about what anyone else thinks anymore. He cares about honoring the Spirit. He cares about listening to the Spirit. And he's going to go do it regardless if everyone understands it or not. He will explain it to this group of people asking him slowly and proficiently in sequence because if that's what it takes for these pharisaical people to understand, this is what God called me to do. This is what the dream called me to do. This is what the angels spoke to me to do. Then who am I to say no? Because in the end, the reason why me and you are standing here is because someone shared Christ with us. And what happened? If we fell to our knees and the Spirit of God moved on our lives, who would we say that we shouldn't have shared with them? Every person has a right to hear the Word of God, and every person has to make a decision about it. What could they possibly do? Verse 18 says, what could they possibly do when, be, when presented with this much information, this concisely, and documented all the way through, right? There's multiple attestation happening here. One group has, has seen it firsthand. Another group has witnessed it secondhand as Cornelius goes away. Now he's thirdhand recounting the story from both sides of the party. There's lots of people that can ask and verify the story. What else could they do? Verse 18 says, they fell silent. You know your accusers that you have right now in the world, people that are saying things about you and saying things about your faith and saying things about you? You know what will happen to them one day? They will fall silent. And all the accusations and everything will go away. Right now, it's just a loud banging gong, a distraction that tries to pull your attention away from keeping the main thing the main thing, right? The main thing in Acts is Acts 1.8, so that the word of God would go out, so that people would come to faith. And church, that's the same thing that God is calling us to do today. To keep the main thing the main thing. To shut those distractions down. Cornelius didn't know that he was going to be this significant Gentile who's going to be teaching the Romans and teaching all that. Cornelius didn't know any of that. All he knew was someone coming out of the military was you follow rank and file. You honor the fact that God puts people above you. And you do the job that you can do to the best. 
And so when he gets this information, go, and there's going to be a message that's going to save you and your family, he's excited. I'm excited for him. But from this point on and from the fact that these guys have no further objections than to say, okay, God has let the Gentiles in. Who are we to say no to God? The next part of this passage, like I said, I'm just going to use this for a communion thought. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to get ready to call Matthew up here and have you play some uh, music so we can do communion. But this, this week when I got back, something happened to me. Um, a lot of stuff's happening in our town. I love Costa Mesa. I was born in Hogue Hospital, and my family was, uh, my dad was a deacon and an active member in this church for many, many years. Um, I'm grateful when I had the final job description. I had a full job offer at Ambassador Church in Anaheim, which was one block away from my brother's house. My brother could have walked to the church on Sunkiss in Anaheim the same week that uh, Lighthouse offered me the job. But there was something about Costa Mesa from the very beginning that always felt like home, that always felt like coming back to something that God had called me to do. And recently, Costa Mesa is kind of under attack. Uh, we've already been known for being the rehab central of the world, right, with 12% of our population are 130,000 people. We only have 127,000, 130,000 people, but 12% of our population is rehab homes. That's a tough thing to be known for, right? Then recently, especially since Frankie sold the donut shop, my, my beloved donut shop went away. I mean, the whole point of getting on the freeway was so that I could get off at Broadway and get my donut for my energy that I so desperately need with kidney disease, right? Which all doctors recommend, a good maple bar to get the day started. And it went away. And I was like, oh, Lord, Frank, why would my donut shop? And now it's Mr. Nice Guy, the pot-smelling, oh, pot shop here, Lord. Well, I work for the police department, too, as you guys know, and so... I spent a lot of time with officers, guys who have given their lives, women who have given their lives to protect the city. And you know what? The, the feeling in this town is we're losing ground. Defeatism is ruling the day as you talk about Newport Boulevard and another hotel bites the dust and Harbor Boulevard and the people walking down the street. And then I find out seven more shops have close their doors so that more pot shops can come our way. Church, I don't know what's going to happen in Costa Mesa. I don't know what's going to happen in Newport or Huntington, but I can tell you this. I'm a follower of Christ. My identity is in Christ. I'm in the water, but I'm not of the water. And I'm not going to jump out of the boat and then shake a finger from a wet, drowning rat at heaven and say, Lord, what are you doing? You think, you think we're the first generation to ever sit and look around and say, what on God's green earth are you doing with these people? What is happening? What, where is the mindset of a human being to sacrifice a child to God? You think that's new information? You know what they did to Moloch in the very beginning of recorded history? And what God said abomination above abomination was is that a people group, a religious people group, would have an affiliation where the only way that you could gain power and strength of the deity that they claim was to sacrifice your children to them. Sacrificing kids to an altar other than God has been part of in-your-face God until he returns, and it will continue to be. And anything we do that doesn't treat life as sacred is on us.
all life is sacred to God. There's no such thing as an unwanted life. But that's not our identity. I don't care if we had 10 abortion centers. I don't, I don't care what Costa Mesa does. That's not my identity. But for a lot of us, it's distracting. It's creating this thing where when I think about God just called the Gentiles into faith, and yet he's going to call Syrian Antioch to be the city that he spearheads Christian faith growing from for the entire world. Mark, can you put that slide up there right now? The location of this place is insane. It's, re- it's right there on the river, mouth to the entire north. Everything south of Antioch is Jerusalem and Samaria and everything that God started. And it's just moved 20, 30 miles away. And it's right on a river mouth that comes right into a bay that all the transportation and everything that you want to go north and you wanted to go to the ends of the earth, it's perfectly situated to do it. It's the third largest known city in the ancient world. One and two... One and two are Rome and Alexandria. But you know what Syrian Antioch on the river, Syrian Antioch, do you know what it's known for? Prostitution worship in the church as part of its structured service. Known for. The, li- the lifestyle that you lived in Syrian Antioch was so sexual and so in your face that it said that they were having influence on Rome. You know how Rome was. Rome was an absolute horrific culture. And this spearhead, Syrian Antioch, is the city that God calls after this incredible transaction with Peter and Cornelius to bring us, the Gentiles, into faith. And the place that he's going to send it to and the place that it's going to start from and then carry to the ends of the earth so that it's here today. We are here today, okay, because of what started in Syrian Antioch. An absolutely detestable city. Yet God chosen. And when I told you there's none righteous, that's what I want you to think about for your communion thought this morning, is that if you're thinking God should choose this city over this city because this city is so sinful, and if a bomb fell, if a bomb fell on any city, it should fall on all cities because there's no righteous people in any city. There's no one church doing it right and one church doing it wrong. There's just a lot of us working up, waking up every morning and pointing fingers and distracting us from the single call in God's life to go, to make, to baptize, and to teach. You will hear that today from me in that membership class because that is the main thing. Anything else other than that is my wants as a pastor. And I can only tell you this, that my one as a pastor, especially as a senior pastor of this church, is what God wants and what God has ordained. That's it. I have no opinion. We're going to go, we're going to make, we're going to baptize, and we're going to teach because that's what he called us to do. And I follow rank and file. I appreciate rank and file. Do not let yourself get caught up with thinking our city's going to hell in a handbasket and we're losing ground and the prostitution and the home. It's not the first time that it's happened and it's going to get worse. And there's gonna, it's going to happen. Irvine is not going to be spared from all of this injustice, right? Irvine has their own problems. Oh, Irvine has none of this. Oh, I've never seen a homeless person in your Belinda. You know what? Every city has its own problem. And every city needs to answer the same question. Are you going to stay in the boat? Are you going to trust that where God's leading you, that's where you need to go? 
Or are you going to jump out of the boat and swim to some new island and some new people group because somehow it's greener, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, so it's time for me to go. You can't even mow the lawn you're in, right? You can't even take care of whatever you have, but you're going to go where it's greener. Any of you do lawn maintenance? Does that make any sense? You can't take care of the little one here, but you want to go to where there's two acres of green grass? Mow the lawn you're in. Take care of what God has given you. Be faithful with what God has given you. Stay in the boat when the seas are rough and do whatever. And go share with the people that you think are unclean and unfit. Because there's no clean and fit person. There's just sinners. Did Peter end up choosing where he went and what he did? No. He didn't choose the Gentiles. You think Peter would have chose the Gentiles? He would have never chose the Gentiles. Who are we then? Who are we, church? Who are we to choose who we share with and who we don't share with? Oh, this person's worthy. They, they kind of, they would fit in with our church. Well, this person's not worthy, you know? I just, I'd rather have someone show up at church, be a distraction, smoke, drink, talk ridiculous, cuss, do whatever it is, and be searching for the Lord every week than I would have a bunch of clean-cut, wholesome people coming and shaking hands and acting like everything's copacetic, right? Because where is the Lord going to show up if he shows up, he, he said it. I said it to you, Brady. I'm going to go where the sick people are because the sick people need a doctor and they can appreciate what a doctor can do. This is, this is a hospital, okay? We're all sick. We're all in different stages of sickness. Some are doing better than others, but we all have a mission to do. And so this morning, when you get ready to do communion, now, it'd be great if you guys could come left and right and leave the middle alone. But as you're getting ready to come communion, I want you to think about some who's ever going to serve communion come forward. Who is the people group that God has called you? Who has the scroll been unrolled to you? What is the mission that God called you to that your initial response was, I've never done that? Because you know what your response by saying, I've never done that does to the Lord? I'll never do that right? If your initial response is, I've never done that, why would you go do it? Because he responds back, because who are you to say what's clean and unclean? God is calling us to go to unclean people. God is calling us to share the truth with unclean people. And when we share the truth with unclean people, what we're reminding is that I'm unclean too. That's not easy. That's not easy to be honest about. Like who wants to think of that? I think that's probably why communion for me has always been one of those things that finds me a little emotional. Who wants to stand in front of a church and say, this is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ without thinking about what you're taking on, what you're taking in, and the onus of what you're speaking on behalf of? This morning, as I pray and invite you up to take communion with us, I pray that you would ask God for clarity and what you've been called to do. And then you would be able today to leave this building and get started on the mission that God has called you to do. We've all been called to go speak to a people group. We've all been called to speak to people that have been outside of our purview and our understanding as being somebody worthy of what God says, but they're all worthy of the kingdom of God because that's what he says. Father God, as I get ready for communion this morning, I can't help but think about what Syrian Antioch must have been thinking when this first movement of God started to happen in their building and their church. At some point, it had to be exposed to them how horrifically wrong they were living and what they had done to the church and on behalf of worship, what they had incorporated into worship, how against your will that was. Somebody had to say, 
is this really what God would have us do? Is this, is this really something that shows the love of God and how he blesses relationships and honors marriages? Or is this just something that we've chose to do so that we can fulfill our, our own lusts? Father, I know this church is yours. I know that the direction that you've been sending us for years, from 1948, from those first people that met across the street, Father, I pray for the faithfulness of this church. I pray that the Spirit of God that spoke truth to those first few that gathered and said, you know, on this corner, let's make a stand. Let's make a community church where the Word of God just stands on His death, burial, and resurrection, and that's sufficient. We don't have to be anything more than what you called us to be. Broken people saved by faith. So that, Father, the word of God can go out. Anyone listening today, online or in-house, who doesn't know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other way, I'm sorry, there's just no other way to the Father except through the Son. And regardless of who you heard it from and how you heard it, may the truth set them free this morning. Father, we present ourselves and prepare ourselves for communion. We do it all in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. Would you please come forward for communion?
as the worship team's getting their elements. And you have a moment to kind of just sit with this. I wanted to read to you the second part of the passage and emphasize two points. In Acts 11, as the passage begins, it talks about in verse 21 that the Lord's hand was with them, the Syrian Antioch church, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In the world today, it's been said that the United States was once a place that sent missionaries out. It's now said the United States, for the first time in its history, is a place where missionaries are being sent in. We founded this country on the Bible, and for 200 years, we allowed the Bible to speak its truths. And there was nothing but blessing upon blessing and growth and encouragement. And we have forbid God's word. And we've turned our back. We jumped out of the boat, people. And we want to sit in the water and wave our finger at God and say, where are you? I'm drowning. What is this city known for? I don't know. What are you known for? do a lot of funerals. I deal with a lot of people's last words. You find something out at a funeral, what that person was all about. When you take this communion today, I want to remind you, you're not doing this on your own. This is not something that God called you to do and then unequipped you and said, go figure it out. His spirit is trying to lead us and guide us and direct us. And this communion, these simple elements remind us that if we don't take him in, if we don't fight to be here, if we don't fight for the word of God, if we don't stand fast for what we believe, we'll fall for anything. Amen? You want to hold fast when it comes to what the world's trying to tell you right now. Are we losing ground? Church, we've been losing ground from the time he went home. And we will be losing ground until he returns again that has no bearing on the call that he placed on our life. We go. And we make. And we baptize. And we teach. And whatever else happens around us, that's between them and the Lord. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He took this bread. He was with his friends. He was with the people he loved. And he wanted to give them some hope and encouragement. He said, hey, look, I'm going to give you something that you can tangibly do and remind yourself. Until I return again, every time you do this, take this and remind yourself, you're not doing this on your own. My body, my blood shed for you. Not your body. Never broken, by the way. We break bread, but his body not broken to fulfill the law. But this body is for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night that they did that, they passed the cup. Today, we're so worried about health and so many different things. We all have 20 different cups, right? 
No one uses the same cup for anything. They passed the cup. I imagine it was one simple cup and it touched each one of them. And as each one of them took a drink of that, they were reminding themselves that something happened. Transition occurred that paid in full the debt that you and I could never repay. To Telestai, it's paid in full in the blood of Christ. May this simple juice remind you this morning and every time that you take communion, you're not doing this on your own. And the reason why you don't feel worthy is because we're not worthy. But every time you take this and drink this, you remind yourself that you were made worthy in someone's name who loves you above all other things and will not fade. And his boat will remain. Stay in the boat, church. Get to the other side. Do this in remembrance of him. How does it all end? How does the story end, you want to know? Barnabas went back to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found them, he brought them all to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught them in great numbers. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christian is a weird word. American is a weird word. And sometimes I let my brain slide and I think about America, I'm an American. What does that mean? Turns out that I-A-N at the end of that phrase, American, means something and has for many, many, many years. It's Latin. Christian Christians, I-A-N. It started with the Romans wanting to be like their emperor. It's a possessive additive. It's a suffix that we add to show part of somebody else, that you're a likeness of someone else. And so it was an homage way to pay homage to their leader. So what does Christian mean? One who relates to Christ. It's been said it was a derogatory term, meaning little Christs. But you know what, church? It's never sounded better than it does today. I don't know about who you want to be part of and where your association is with your name and title that you most resonate with. But can I give you one final word for the road? If you're a Christian, your name means little Christ, one who relates most to Christ. If you represent anything else other than who he is, you do so hypocritically. You are a Christian above your Americanness. You are a Christian above your political association. You are a Christian above all other things. It is the highest calling in your life. And I want to encourage you with great joy to tell you there's no other blessing that I'd rather be than to be called a little Christ. If I could live my life in such a way that people think, oh, that's how Christ would do it. If sitting in dialysis and comforting someone who's in pain, oh, that's how Christ would do it. Then may it be so for all of us to remind ourselves, complaining, 
and acting and sounding like the rest of the world around us, there's not a lot of biblical support for that. But there is a lot of support for being and doing stuff that's against the grain and the scroll's been unveiled and God says, don't call it unclean if I've made it clean. What is our city known for? I honestly don't know. I love Costa Mesa and I wish the best for it. And I'm going to continue to serve it as, as well as I can all the days that I'm here and serving with you. But I can tell you this, Costa Mesa is not my identity. Costa Mesa is where I live. It's not who I am. And regardless of what Costa Mesa decides to do or not do, it will break my heart like I'm sure it breaks the Lord, but I've been called to live as a little Christ in Costa Mesa. So that's my only focus. And whatever I can do every day to effectively do that, may I encourage you this morning, please, church, don't give up your faith to highlight all the inadequacies of the world around us. Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and he's given you eternal life, but that's not what other people have. We need to get the main thing to the main thing. Pass that scroll on. And you want to see other people change. You want to see perspectives change. It won't change until the Spirit of God is the Spirit speaking to them. Amen? There's only one Spirit that speaks the truth. You might think it's you. I might think it's me. But there's only one Spirit that speaks the truth. That's why blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. Does that make sense, right? That's what the Spirit of God is trying to do for every individual is speak the truth to them about who he is, about who Christ is, and the choice and the decision they need to make. So the refuting of that one Spirit, that one voice, is why they will ultimately stand accountable. Pray with me as I pray. And if you have anything this morning that you brought in that's kind of undone and you want to pray, then as this final song plays out, then I pray that you would come and pray with me. But if not, just know this morning, you are blessed, you are loved, and you are encouraged, but you've been built to fight. Now stop fighting of your own volition and hold fast in the Lord and put the word of God down and say, you know what? Choose this day who I'm going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the opportunity to see your hand in so many different things. And I know that it's a challenge. I'm a grandparent, and I do. I hold my grandkids, and I think, what are they going to grow up in? What are some of the things that I took for granted? Oh, I remember the little chapel on wheels that used to pull up in sixth grade, and the kids would say, hey, you're going to chapel on wheels. We'd run out there, and we could go read the Bible at school. And what is going to roll up? What's going to roll up for my grandson? What kind of things are they going to have to face? And you know what, Father, I, I, I become overwhelmed in that. I, I just, it's too much to think about. So I just, I simply pray the same thing that any follower of Christ should pray. Father, not my will, not my concerns, but your will and your concerns for this day and for this people, for this world that we live in. Strengthen everyone here today. Strengthen those listening online and remind them that the task, this missionary task is not something that we get to do for a month and then check it off. We're all in a mission every day. And every day we're called to be faithful to the one who saves all who have sinned so that there is none righteous, no, not even one. But you called us righteous. And today, even in communion, we're reminded that we're made righteous in you. Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying on the cross, covering my sins, and giving me a chance to pass the torch.
Father, we do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Would you all stand with us for what they saw? Oh, Lord, my God.
you all. May you have a great week. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. Next week.